there were many eyes on Lana Long as she walked out on stage for her nightly routine. She was a popular performer at the Sly Fox Lounge, a club well-known for beautiful, exotic dancers. Sometime after the performance, Lana Long had an unexpected encounter. The crime committed that night might have gone unsolved had it not been for a common thread. It's gonna be great. One Sunday afternoon, two boys were playing together on an abandoned highway. As they ran through a field chasing a parachute, they discovered a horrible sight. The nude, decomposed body of a young woman. She was lying face down with her hands bound behind her back. A cord was wrapped three times around her neck like a leash. Under her body lay a white silk scarf tied in a knot. This killer was trying to make a statement. He could have killed this woman with a lot less trauma. But the, uh, the deepness of this bruise, uh, the, the, the prominence of this bruise, uh, indicated that, uh, that he uh, applied a lot more force than it was necessary to end this woman's life. He was violent. The victim was identified as 20-year-old Lana Long, an exotic dancer who worked at the Sly Fox Lounge in Tampa. Detectives found some faint tire tracks near the body, but little else. Homicide investigators interviewed Lana Long's boyfriend, John Corcoran. Corcoran hadn't reported Long missing, even though they lived together, and he hadn't seen her for three days. He had an explanation of why he didn't report her missing. It was kind of vague. We were concerned about that. Corcoran admitted that he argued with Long on the day of her disappearance about the number of men who were calling her at home, asking her out on dates. Two weeks later, a second body was discovered in a deserted location. I can vividly recall getting in the car, driving to the crime scene, saying to myself, please don't let her be bound. Please don't let her be tied up. It felt like a ton of bricks had just fallen upon me. Because here we go from rarely having a victim bound to now two within two weeks of each other. The victim was identified as 22-year-old Michelle Sims, a former beauty contestant who had turned to prostitution to support a drug habit. Near the body, police discovered some fresh tire prints in the soft sand, but there was something unusual about the tire impressions. The vehicle had three different tires. Detectives made plaster molds of the tire impressions for analysis, hoping they would provide some clue to the identity of the murderer. Because of the similarities in these two cases, investigators believed that both murders were committed by the same person. This time, however, John Corcoran had an alibi and was no longer considered a suspect. In the forensics lab, when Michelle Sims' clothing was analyzed, they discovered a tiny clue, a mysterious red fiber. 
It was similar to a red fiber discovered at the Lana Long crime scene on the white silk scarf found under Long's body. On September 18, 1984, the nude body of a third woman was discovered. The victim, 18-year-old Chanel Williams, who had a prior arrest for prostitution. This particular case, it was a black female. Her body had been dumped on the roadside. She was completely nude. She was not bound in any way. Uh, there was some clothing found next to her, tied in a knot. She had suffered a gunshot wound to the back of the head. So when you look at this case, it, it's totally different than the other cases, or is it? The forensics lab found the answer. Tiny red fibers were discovered on William's clothing, fibers similar to those found on the other two victims. While detectives launched a full-scale investigation, they hoped that these mysterious red fibers would lead them to their serial killer before he struck again. The Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department wanted to know all they could about the mysterious red fibers found on the three murdered women. Each of the tiny fibers was microscopically analyzed and compared. Under a scanning electron microscope, magnified more than 1,000 times, scientists noticed an unusual size and shape to the fibers. Instead of being round or square, the fiber looks more or less triangular, but like a triangle, it's been pinched so that you see the three legs sticking out from the core of the fiber. The fibers from the three women were all triangular or trilobal. The next task was to identify whether the fibers were natural or man-made. Since man-made fibers are made from chemicals, scientists use what is called a melting point apparatus to determine the temperature at which the fiber would break down. The results revealed that the red fibers were nylon. And by microscopically measuring the light reflected through the fibers, scientists determined that all three trilobal nylon fibers were dyed the exact same color and were from the same dye lot. The conclusion, the red nylon trilobal fibers found on the three victims were all from the same source. Nylon trilobal fiber is used mostly in carpet, high durability, inexpensive carpet. Since this fiber masks dirt, it's often used in automobiles and hotels. Next, homicide detectives turn their attention to the tire impressions found near the bodies. Tire tread experts noticed that there were three different tires on the vehicle. The impression of the front tire was an extremely common model made by the Goodyear Tire Company. The right rear tire was manufactured by the Goodyear company as well. It was a low-priced model called the Viva. But there was something unusual about the tread. It was a white wall tire and was on the rim with the white wall side facing inward. The left rear tire could not immediately be identified since it was not among the thousands of known tire treads in the FBI's computer database. 
So investigators sent the tire impression to the Goodyear Tire Company in Akron, Ohio, to see if they could help identify it. Goodyear's tire expert recognized that it was a specialty tire and a very expensive one, not sold in retail stores. It was a model called the Vogue, made by the Vogue Tire and Rubber Company and was used exclusively on Cadillacs. The tire impression showed that it too was a white wall tire, which was placed on the vehicle with the white wall side facing inward. If the detectives could find the vehicle with this unusual combination of tire treads, they would have the vehicle which left the tire tracks at two of the murder scenes. They also suspected that this vehicle would have red nylon trilobal carpet. Gary Terry decided not to release this important information to the press. Serial killers watch the news, read the newspaper just like anybody else. We were aware of the experience up in Atlanta, Georgia with the Wayne Williams case. I had personally talked with the investigators up there. He changed his pattern after he saw it described in the newspaper. He began reading about trace evidence, so he began dumping the bodies in the rivers to wash the bodies and destroy latent or trace evidence. Deputies believed that the killer was cruising for victims along Nebraska Avenue, where prostitutes usually congregate. Female police decoys walked the strip dressed as prostitutes in an attempt to lure the killer. The number of patrol cars in the area also was increased. Author Anna Flowers described the search for the killer in her book, Bound to Die. I've talked to a lot of officers who say, I have to think like the killer in order to catch him. I worry, what, it, what would it take for me to become the killer. Interesting thought. Despite police efforts, a fourth nude body was discovered in a deserted area. The victim, 28-year-old Karen Din's friend, who had turned to prostitution to support a drug habit. Deputies knew that the serial murderer had struck again when they found red nylon trilobal fibers in Din's friend's clothing. Despite leaving behind the fiber and tire track evidence, the killer was smart. But his next target, a 17-year-old girl, outsmarted him. After working the night shift at this donut shop in Tampa, Florida, 17-year-old Lisa McVeigh rode her bicycle home along a dark, deserted street. Suddenly, a man jumped from behind a parked van, knocked Lisa off her bicycle, grabbed her by the hair, and forced her into his car. God, help me. I was thinking I was going to be killed. Oh, my God, just, just, just help me. He drove McVeigh to an apartment. Over the next 24 hours, she was repeatedly raped and sodomized, blindfolded, petrified, and convinced she would die. Lisa McVeigh made an important decision. I had the life of God in me. I wanted, I had the willingness to live, to survive. That's it, the survival part. Um, when you're in something like that, 
you would be surprised yourself what you're capable of. While still blindfolded, McVeigh was permitted to use the bathroom. She left her fingerprints everywhere she could, under the toilet seat, around the sink, on the hairdryer. If I had died, if I was killed, I want them as far as the police or whoever found me to know that I was there and I tried. Lisa was a very sharp young lady. I personally feel what saved her life was her actions, and those actions were to say yes, sir, and no, sir, to, to every demand that the suspect made of her. At three in the morning, after 24 hours of captivity, Lisa, still blindfolded, was forced back into the car at gunpoint. She was very street smart. Although she had been blindfolded, she could see under the blindfold enough to give police very important data. I was trying to get a good clue, idea of what area I was in. I wanted to know where I was coming from. And I remember leaning back in the chair, I see under the blindfold, that I saw two hotels side by side each other practically. Either than the 275 goes in between them. It was at Howard Johnson and Quality Inn. Lisa noticed the word Magnum on the dashboard, saw that the seats were white and that the car had red carpet. Her abductor stopped the car for a few minutes and Lisa heard a familiar sound. 24-hour bank teller machine. I heard the sounds of the keys of the buttons of the machine. A short drive later, he stopped the car, opened the door, put Lisa on the street along with her clothes, warned her not to remove the blindfold for another five minutes, and drove away. Freedom. Wow, I'm alive, I'm here, what do I do now? I looked both ways, and I fell to my knees, and I started crying. Lisa McVeigh was taken to the hospital, and her clothing sent to the forensic lab for analysis. But before it could be analyzed, detectives were called to another homicide. Another nude body found near a highway overpass. And you could tell it was him. There were actually no ligatures on the body, but you, you could see ligature marks where he had removed the ligatures. When the forensic lab analyzed the clothing from Kim Swan and Lisa McVeigh, they discovered a shocking piece of information. Kim Swan's clothing contained the same red nylon trilobal fibers as the other victims. And the same red fibers were found on Lisa McVeigh's clothing. It was disbelief. We couldn't believe that we have, for some reason, the killer has not killed. He's let a victim survive. Lisa McVeigh's courage and determination made her the first known survivor of the serial killer. Could she provide enough information to find him? When police realized that Lisa McVeigh's rapist was the serial killer, the clues she provided took on a new importance. She saw the word Magnum on the dashboard of his car, 
Only one car had the word Magnum on the dashboard, the 1978 Dodge Magnum. A computer search of Dodge Magnum owners in the area revealed a list of 486 names. McVeigh also told investigators that her abductor used a 24-hour bank teller machine shortly before she was released. When the records of all bank machine transactions for November 4th were compared with the list of Dodge Magnum owners, only one name was on both lists. Robert Long. Robert Bobby Joe Long was a 31-year-old part-time X-ray technician. Separated from his wife, he was the father of two children. Since Lisa McVeigh was blindfolded during most of her captivity, she could not positively identify him from photographs. So Bobby Joe Long was immediately placed under 24-hour surveillance. Long was followed to this movie theater, and when he went inside, deputies inspected the tires on his car. On the right rear side, was a Goodyear Viva. On the left rear side, the expensive specialty tire, the Vogue. Both tires were inverted with the white wall side facing inwards. They were the same tires and in the same position as the tire impressions found at two of the murder sites. When Long walked out of the movie theater, deputies immediately arrested him and confiscated his car for further analysis. The tire treads matched the plaster impressions taken from two of the crime scenes. Long's blood type matched a semen stain found on one of the victims. But it was the carpet inside the Dodge Magnum that linked Long to all of these crimes. The red nylon trilobal carpet fibers inside Long's Dodge Magnum matched the fibers found on the murdered women. And they also matched the red fibers on Lisa McVeigh's clothing. How was he getting so much fiber evidence on this, the clothing of the victims? Well, he was stripping his victims down in the car and he was throwing the clothes in the floorboard of his vehicle. And the victim was kicking the clothing, kicking it, kicking it. It was picking up the fiber evidence out of the floorboard of his vehicle. When told of this evidence against him, Bobby Joe Long confessed to the rape and abduction of Lisa McVeigh as well as the murders. He also confessed to two additional murders the police knew nothing about and led them to the bodies. In all, he confessed to 10 murders. It's sad what happened to him and that I could do something like that to somebody. All the victims... All of them, you know, and you're talking about a lot of them, a lot. A lot of lives just gone right down the tubes because of me, you know, in one way or another. And it's not a good feeling. It's not a pleasant feeling. I'm not proud of anything I've done. And the worst thing is I don't understand why. I don't understand why. Yes, it was bad. Yes, it was very traumatic to my life, but it's made me who I am today. The challenges in my life, the weaknesses that I had then has made me a stronger, a better person today. And that's how I'm able to survive. I'm a firm believer that this is not all the homicides Bobby Joe Long did. You don't start killing the way Bobby Joe Long started killing. Have we found all the victims? No. Are we going to find all the victims? 
I doubt it. Not unless someday he decides to give us the rest of the information and the rest of the story.